This is episode number 973 with number one New York Times best-selling author, Hank Green. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, a former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. Napoleon Hill once said, the ability to influence people without irritating them is the most profitable skill you can learn. And Walt Whitman advised, be curious, not judgmental. I'm super excited today because my guest is a true Renaissance man who has lived a life of both curiosity and influence. Hank Green started making YouTube videos way back in the day in 2007 and you might recognize him from Vlogbrothers, which he hosts with his famous author brother John, and now he runs an educational media company with multiple online channels, over 10 million subscribers, and more than 2 billion total views. He's also an entrepreneur who founded VidCon, among other highly successful enterprises, as well as a podcaster and number one New York Times bestselling author. His new novel, A Beautifully Foolish Endeavor, is coming out this July. And honestly, this was one of the most surprising and wide-ranging interviews I've done in a while. Hank's brain really works on another level. And in this episode, we talk about the power of attention and why it's the most valuable commodity in the world, the concept of creativity and what drives its production, how we should break down the walls between vulnerability and curiosity, why it's smart to think of ideas as business models, why donating money to charity is just like buying a new shirt, and so much more. I'm telling you, this is exciting. And if you're finding value in Hank's wisdom, make sure to share this as well with someone who needs to hear it. And without further ado, let's dive into this episode with the one, the only, Hank Green. Welcome everyone back to the School of Greatness. I'm super excited about our guest today. Hank Green is here. He's a famous YouTuber, podcaster, extremely successful entrepreneur, educator, number one New York Times bestselling author, and he's got a new book coming out really soon, which I'm excited to talk about. And uh, the, yeah. the book is actually all about how we devote our attention and spend our time in a modern world and mm -hmm. kind of the new attention economy is defined by Google and Facebook and these social media applications. Yeah. And I wanted, to, I wanted to ask you to start, why is attention the most valuable thing in the world? Because I think this is a, what everyone wants right now is more attention, more likes, more followers, more people looking at their content, mm -hmm. looking at their businesses. Why is this so valuable? Well, I think there, there's, a, there's a really objective reason, and that is that it's the it's the most finite resource. There's, you know, ultimately maybe there's a bunch of gold on the asteroids and we'll be able to find that and there will be way more gold and, and like the price of gold will drop. But really the, the thing that there is only so much of is our own human lives and how, like, how I spend my attention, whether that's on my work or whether it's on someone else's work or like something that I'm like loving and enjoying, like that's really the only choice I have. It's the only thing I do. And a lot of my attention is spent internally. It's my, my brain sort of like monitoring and, and conversing with itself. 
but a lot of it is external. And we kind of let our attention, you know, allow it to be hacked in a lot of different ways by creators like, like ourselves, but also by platforms. Right. And I'm very aware uh, as a person who makes content and, and like my job is often to capture someone's attention and hold on to it for as long as I can, mm-hmm. whether I'm trying to teach them something or, or just make them laugh, there's a, there's a, a bit of a science to it. And it's, it's work and it's, it's hard and it's interesting and it's a great nut to crack. But like it is, especially if we actually head into this future that a lot of you know futurists kind of predict where there's a lot of abundance in terms of like food is very cheap and housing is very cheap and like we sort of get there the the thing that there we will not make any more of is just is is the time in people's lives Mm -hmm. um you know we can make more of that by making more people and by making them live longer but like to some extent that's a finite resource it's also very clear that what we care about is often not attention specifically. It is attention of the people that we sort of consider to be part of our, our in-group, our culture. Um, like I don't spend a lot of time thinking about the attention of people in, um, you know, India, uh, despite the uh-huh. fact that like my content actually reaches a lot of people in India. <laughs> yeah. I just don't yeah. think, I don't think about it. Um, and so like that, that, you know, it seems like it's objective and there's a really objective story to tell about it, but it also has this element of subjectivity to it. The other reason is that you can do things with attention. Mm. You, you really, it's getting harder and harder to turn money into attention. We're watching this with a lot of people who are trying to like launch platforms and, you know. Like, like Quibi is Quibi like spending is good, all this money, but yeah, they only got so a much. couple million subscribers, right? And people aren't yeah. sticking and yeah. they yeah. have the best content, but it's something's not working yeah right? yeah yeah they got all they they did the traditional media thing where you get the famous people and you spend money marketing it and it didn't work so it's kind why of getting harder. oh why why is that uh, or I, why let's not talk about that let's talk about why is it harder and harder to monetize attention even when you have seemingly the best things lined up to grab yeah. attention it's so so that's like spending money to try and get attention and and we know how it works now it's not a mystery anymore. We are very aware of the ways more and more, every person is becoming more aware of the ways in which our attention is like being attempted to be captured. And we are really wary of it. And we are, uh, and we know when it seems fake. You know, if, you, if, if you're like you're paying Rachel Brosnahan to say something nice about something, I can tell the difference when she's being paid versus when she's actually excited. Right. Um, and I just picked a name out of a hat there. I haven't actually seen Is that the actress Hand. from- uh, Marvelous Miss Maisel. Yes. Yeah. I actually yeah. loved her in House of Cards. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you remember watching that from mm-hmm, the early- mm-hmm. Yeah, early on in that series, yeah. Yeah. yeah so, so you're saying it, you can it, tell the difference between someone giving an authentic, when they just say, you know, I'm not being sponsored by this product, but I just love this so much. I wanted to share mm-hmm. it on my Instagram story. That right. probably does better than someone sitting there all professionally like, check out this product that so yeah. and so I'm really excited. People yeah. are super aware of it. They, they like, we're really culturally sensitive to authenticity now. That's sort of the, the word that we use. And I'm not entirely clear on what that word actually means, but we all have a kind of good idea of it. But it is always, it, it remains fairly easy to turn attention into money. And that's actually getting easier. Mm. And so if you can have like it, you, if you can build up 
the the capturing of attention, the the sort of relationship with an audience, and actually provide them with value, and they trust you, then there are ways to you know, it, like even if money is the goal, there are ways to turn that into money. But ultimately, I think that money doesn't need to be the goal because I think that there are lots of values to having that attention that aren't money. Like, what's what's the goal? you could be shifting the world in a way that you prefer. I mean, I think that this is ultimately why we want money. It's to create a, a world that you prefer. Mm-hmm. And this is to create an environment often, to create a experience that you enjoy yeah. more. With and that might be sh- or places yeah. or yeah. it might be shoes. It might be charity. Like this is a yeah. thing people like we do a lot of charity projects and people are always like, Hank and John are such good folks. And I'm like, I'm just buying the world I would prefer. It's the exact same as a new shirt. Yeah. I just would prefer a world in which fewer moms die. Like, because that, that world brings you more joy, more happiness. Yeah. So, yeah. And I think it's a more stable world for like the future and for my children and you know, child. I only have one child. Right. Or not children. Uh, yeah. And, and it, that is actually to some extent easier to do with attention. And that's why they call people who have our jobs. Sometimes they call us influencers Mm -hmm. because what we, what we actually do is like, we can affect things Mm -hmm. and that's what attention can do, you know? And, and I think that like attention along with like the capability for good storytelling, which it's kind of hard to have our jobs if we aren't able to sort of capture like ideas into good stories. Yeah. What's the difference between attention and time? That's a great one. That's a great one. Uh, yeah, I, I t- talk a lot about um, the, in the first book, I talk a lot about this sort of two qualities of fame. There's the number of people who know who you are, and then there's the level of devotion that they have to you. So like it's, a cult so leader. breath versus yeah. depth. Yeah, yeah. So there's the cult leader who has like 20 people who like think he's God. Mm. And then there's David Schwimmer, who like everybody knows who David Schwimmer is, but there's no like David Schwimmer fan club. Now I've picked on David. Maybe Schumer. there, maybe there is online <laughs> somewhere, but it's somewhere. Not, yeah. 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 Not the biggest group of people. <laughs> um, and that's sort of a, to, to me, a similar thing. Whereas like, t- like time doesn't matter if the attention is being divided between five different things. So that's just a math problem. Then like if I'm playing, you know, if I'm looking at TikTok while watching a TV show, then like neither of those things are really getting my attention. And, mm-hmm. and a lot of my attention is sort of being poorly spent because just like refreshing my TikToks to see how well they're doing isn't giving me, <laughs> did I just hit a nerve there? Oh, no, I'm just laughing because I can, <laughs> I can see myself doing this and yeah. other people doing this. Yeah. yeah. Isn't it, like that attention isn't being spent on anything useful, <laughs> but it is distracting me from something that might be a good, a good uh, source for my attention. So attention is actually when like the, the mental activity is being devoted to something that, the, devoted to the thing that you are actually spending time doing. So attention is devotion. Time is it's it's like a it's like um you know it's like acceleration like you have to have both of them you know mm-hmm. you have to have the, the the movement and the and the mass they're both but i'm hearing you say they're both limited resources right because you said attention is kind of the main limited resource yeah well t- time is ultimately the limited resource because we're all going to die and we only have so much of it to spend 
but we can be paying less or more attention during every moment of our lives. Like right now I'm paying a ton of attention because I'm trying to seem interesting and I'm trying to mm -hmm. really listen to you and also understand what I'm saying. And now I'm like doing that in a meta level. So I'm getting confused. Yeah. <laughs> and whereas a lot of my day I spent, I, I spend time, but I don't spend a lot of attention. Um, Interesting. And, and, and I sort of, what does that mean? You spend time, but you just don't spend attention. Because I, I maybe like, there might be a lot of inward stuff going on or things that I'm trying to distract myself from, or that I'm trying to find something interesting. Um, and this is the sensation of that. We all, we all know of wanting to be on Twitter, but not enjoying being on Twitter or whatever the equivalent of that is. Sure, and sure. So we're, we're sort of like searching for the next thing that will make me like have a sensation that like sensation seeking and, and that, that attention is not being spent. Well, the, yeah. the, the value of that attention is not converting to is yeah. The, the, the attention is not converting to value. Right. What do you think is the danger of monetizing attention then? Um, well, I guess that's, there's two different ways to think about that. So, so as a creator, I'm the first thought I had was monetizing that attention, meaning monetizing the attention that I have been given by people. So they've, they've given me a certain amount of their time and their respect. And I think that there's a huge danger in, in monetizing that in ways that are, that I don't believe in or that I mm -hmm. don't. Um, and I think this is a, this is a big balance with influencers, which is a word I hate, but it's in, when we're talking sort of in the marketing world, that's, that's what we're called. Sure that you need to find the things that are actually going to help the people that are your people and not the things that are, you know, like, ultimately, like either of us could start a, start a pyramid scheme and make a bunch of money. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, mm -hmm. we'd, we might eventually go to prison, but probably <laughs> we just would lose all our credibility. Yes. That, that would most likely, but like we along the path of, of losing our credibility, we'd probably make a bunch of money. But like, you don't want to do that because, well, one, money isn't the thing anymore. And I think people are more and more aware of that. Two, there are actually ways to help people and make money along at the same time. And for me, you know, I, I, and I think, like, I know that you're the same way. Some of that is like, there's this product. People should know about this product. This is why advertising actually exists mm -hmm. to tell people about a mm -hmm. thing that exists that they don't know about that might help them. Mm -hmm. They're going to buy it. If it helps, they're not going to buy it if they don't want it. Right. There's also like making your own thing. And this is the thing that I love the most. Like I have opportunities to create a business or a product that, you know, I have this asset that no one else has access to this like amazing group of people who trust me, whose trust I've earned and who, who I take, I take them very seriously. And like, they understand, like we have these shared values and I can imagine a thing that might help them and then have it become real mm. because that's becoming more and more easy these days, whether it's a physical product or, you know, an, a, an experience or something. And uh, and then, you know, I can like make that for them and, and it can deepen their experience of, you know, the community that they're a part of, but it can also be a, a big helpful, yeah. uh, like, like add to their lives. As a, I mean, as someone who is, I mean, you've, it seems like you've achieved a lot in many different areas of business and life. How do you manage time and attention on all the different companies, YouTube channels, podcasts, mm -hmm businesses that you're flipping events. How do you manage 
time and attention to accelerate the value and monetize them at the same time. Yeah, I don't do a good job of this. I'm not, I'm not, um, I th- and I sometimes I think that the people I hear who say that they're good at this are just lying because I sure. can't imagine I can't imagine actually being uh, careful or uh, like serious about time management. My time management strategies are what is the thing that I'm most excited about and what is the thing that I'm most worried about. And sometimes those two things are weirdly enough the same thing. Like I love solving hard problems and. So sometimes the thing that I'm really worried about is also something I'm really excited about. Oftentimes, because we are, you know, we are working, the thing that I'm most worried about is something that I would much rather not do. But I, you know, I find ways to, to, to do it. And I think that to some extent that's driven by anxiety. Um, and to some extent it's driven by obligation. Like I care about the people I work with. I care about my audience and I have an obligation to them. I, I have set it up so that like they rely on me to some extent. And that a lot of what drives me is fulfilling obligations that I have to, to people who I respect. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think that I'm pretty good at, at working efficiently. I definitely get hyper-focused and can mm-hmm. drive for, you know, four hours without noticing that I've been hungry the whole time. I have to feed or whatever. <laughs> you hold your bladder. I can hold my bladder for literally 14 hours without moving on a plane if I need to. <laughs> because not, I've done it so many times. And I'm always healthy. like, why is it going to help me when I'm like 60? Uh, yeah. Yeah. You just get those muscles real strong. That's how it works. <laughs> You're just flexing them. You got, it's great. So for me, it's, um, it's kind of the, um, the intensity of the internal passion and the, the intensity of the fire that I need to put out, you know, like either, either compounding or competing. Right. So I, what I really, I really do try to set my life up so that I have a lot of free time to screw around. And I, I think don't. this is one of the most important things you just said, because I don't think enough creators give themselves what I call strategic messing around where you're just, yeah. you're just throwing a Frisbee, you're walking around the park, you're mm-hmm. playing with a friend, you're, you know, I just got a scooter a few weeks ago and I literally scoot around my, uh, my studio in a circle and make a game out of it nice. of like, how many times can I go around without touching the ground? <laughs> Stupid time-wasting yeah. exercises that yeah. unlock a potential. How important is that strategic messing around or whatever you call it for you? It's, it's so important. And like, for me, it's, it's not usually a scooter. Like I am obsessed with media. Um, Mm -hmm. And so downloading TikTok and being like, okay, how do I, how do I get my first 50,000 followers on TikTok? Like to me, that's a fascinating question. Like, and, and also like, not just how I would do it, because of course my strategy is going to rely on the last 10 years of audience building and like people having some vague idea of who I am sometimes, uh, but also watching how other people have done it, how they're doing it, what's taking off, what's working, what's interesting. And also, you know, the different areas, like the different cultures that exist on a single platform. I love to go into parts of Twitter that I don't usually spend time in and be like, the culture is different here. The people are different here. They care about different things. They talk in different ways. And it's, op- like, it's open for me to explore and learn about 
for me, like that, that curiosity about how humans connect to each other is a, a real driver for me. Mm-hmm. So I can, so, I almost, so spending four hours on TikTok is not a waste of your time. It's a use of creative it, strategic it time. can be a waste of my time for sure. But sometimes it is not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. In the research phase of like the first couple of weeks of figuring out a platform, it's a mm-hmm. good use of your time. Yeah. Once you're on the platform and you've got content, you're just scrolling to scroll every day. Yeah. It's not a good use of what I'm hearing you say. Yeah. I mean, TikTok is so weird because it really is very siloed. And it, it seems yeah. the people on the on the app talk about how there's sort of the different parts of TikTok. And the, the part of TikTok that I sort of naturally was placed into constantly <laughs> derides what they call straight TikTok. Um, and what it's is not that? Like, it's not, uh, it's not just TikTok? about... What's your TikTok handle? I'm, I'm on there as well, so I'm curious. I'm, I'm Hank Green 1 because I didn't get Hank Green. I was too late, I guess. <laughs> okay, I'm following you right now. Okay. okay. Um, the, uh, the, and I think that straight TikTok is to some extent about sexual orientation, but it is more about, it is more about like just sort of like normal TikTok. This is where all the, like this is where people get, you know, tens of millions of of views whereas on our side of tiktok you know beans tiktok it's only getting like hundreds of thousands of views and sort of there's the pride around like ooh, i made it to beans tiktok tiktok right. served me bean content and so i must be weird enough for tiktok to think i need beans on my timeline mm-hmm. it's really weird it feels like walking into it's to some extent like walking into another country. Like I open the app and I'm like, I have arrived (laughs) in a whole new place that I've never experienced before. I know. And learning how to create in a different platform based on, based on an audio platform, based on Twitter, everything is, you got to create specific for a platform if you really want to take off. Oh yeah. It's just hard because then you have to create 10 different types of video, mm -hmm. one for each platform and recreate it. For me, I like I almost never actually do it. Like what I'm doing on TikTok right now is probably like a month of TikTok and then I will stop forever. But I'll be like, I get it now. And that's what's important to me. Like, so you can, just care about getting it. You don't care about growing attention on one platform. I think. Because I just if, took a quick scroll and like a week ago, you had 5 million views on a video. And so it seems like you're. Yeah, you're I'm getting doing it okay a on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I what the, the question, though. So, I mean, this is like, I don't want this to be a whole conversation just about TikTok, but, but as an example of, of how I imagine media, I think it's really important to note that uh, when I get 5 million views on a TikTok, that's a deeply different thing than getting 5 million views on a YouTube video. Yes. And there are a couple of reasons for that. One is just the monetization. Like you can't monetize on TikTok effectively at all. The, and like, this is a thing that I, I think probably may eventually become a problem for them and they need to, to figure it out. But more importantly than that, when I watch a TikTok, it is a very low impact experience for me. And so I know that that's the same for those people who watched my, those 5 million people who saw that TikTok. Like that was, did not have a big impression on them. It's very hard. I do educational content. It's very hard to imagine doing, you know, educational content that sort of ties together from, from video to video that actually sort of tells a coherent story where you learn something kind of deep on that platform. I can see, I can totally see doing some like, informational bits and that's being done really well on the platform i'd love to do some of it myself but the it's almost as if well it's not just as if they have designed the platform for the content to be a a low impact experience so you don't feel bad about going to the next video Mm -hmm. and you don't feel bad about skipping something you don't feel bad about not liking something and 
you're always sort of like thinking, well, maybe the next one will be better because sometimes it is and right. it feels really fun and, and like that was going. great <laughs> yeah. and that's how you spend four hours scrolling on tiktok <laughs> uh, and, and so like tiktok has very intelligently but and very explicitly sacrificed creator benefits for user experience so as a person who makes content on the platform the only benefits i get are sort of the dopamine of having somebody see my content or, or my channel growing or whatever but as a user, like it is really easy. It's so much easier than, than YouTube where you've got all this content all on the side. The user experience just isn't that great. Like compared, compared with this like seamless flowing experience, I think it does sort of hurt the, the sort of long-term the ability of, of creators to sort yeah. of like build something lasting on the platform. I hear you there. I'm going to be diving more into TikTok myself, but it sounds like you're, you're creating for a month and you're done for a life and you're all we'll see, hit we'll see what happens. Years. Give me some monetization tools. I might, I might right. Exactly. <laughs> well, I guess the way you monetize is driving attention, gaining yeah. attention, driving yeah. attention to the next place and then either selling ads there or selling mm. products, services. Uh, yeah. And I've already been doing a little book promo there. And that's, that's a lot of why I'm on TikTok right now is right. like, well, I need to find another, a book. another place to <laughs> tell people about my book. Exactly. Exactly. Now, as a early creator who has created multiple channels, lots of success, and just a creator in general, I look as a creator as more than just content, but businesses, creator of ideas, books, all these different things, mm -hmm. who knows you're going to die. And as an atheist, <laughs> how do you figure out what your purpose is if you don't know why you're here? Or who the creator is, I guess, or, or right. maybe, maybe you do know why you're here and what the creator is. I, I don't. Um, I, yeah, I, I basically have never been a believer um, in, I mean, my parents were sort of peripherally Christian. I don't know if they would appreciate me saying that. More culturally Christian than, than sort of like believers. Like you you grew up in church. Birmingham, right? I was born in Birmingham and then I grew up in Orlando, Florida. Okay, cool. Um, and and my brother, who I, I do almost all of my creative projects with, he's, he's religious. He goes to church. He was, a, uh, you know, he was in divinity school for a little while. Wow. And so like <laughs> we, we, but at the same time, like we are able to, to like not, there's no tension in our relationship about this because ultimately our values are not different. And our values actually probably come more down to a kind of humanist belief than to this, to, to like belief or not belief. So for me, you know, what are, what are your core values together that suffering should decrease that community is important, that connection is important, that people need to be appreciated and they need to appreciate. So both sides of that equation, gratitude, are, yeah, yeah, are super important. And we like are, are losing touch with them in society mm -hmm. and thoughtfulness, like imagining that other people are as complex as we are, because obviously they are, but it's easy to forget that and, and trying to be thoughtful and careful with with your actions you yeah know? like that's not always going to happen but sure, trying sure. I, I made a tiktok today that was mean and then i didn't post it really for example because <laughs> you weren't thoughtful <laughs> yeah well i yeah i i, I mean it was really funny <laughs> I, <laughs> uh, but i Send it yeah. to, text it to me separately and i'll, <laughs> I'll be the judge yeah so how do you figure out what your purpose is when you know you're going to die and you yeah. don't believe in in god I think it's, you know, you look up and you sort of realize how big the universe is. Like you just look up in this, into space and be like, wow, we are this one little thing. And it becomes clear that the thing that matters, and this isn't, 
Like this is both, I think, objectively true and subjectively true. Like we all know this. The thing that matters is other people and like how they imagine us, how we imagine them, how we help them and how they help us, like where we fit into that equation. And, and I, like it doesn't seem at all subjective to me. Like that, you know, to some people, maybe like you, you have like sort of a supervillain idea that it's just like, well, nothing matters. Mm-hmm. I, like that does not read to me. It does not feel at all true. And maybe this is just about feelings, but to me, like help, helping other people, leaving the world better than you found it, you know, trying to solve more problems than you create, like that kind of stuff is-, is Why does that matter? And I'm not for or against you, but why is that, why do humans matter if there's no creator or God or source of creation? Um, we decide, maybe some people think that's too much responsibility to put on, on our shoulders, but we have collectively decided that, you know, we just, we as a society believe that there is a lot of value in a human life and to some extent, infinite value in a human life. We do all kinds of things to help people and to help each other. And, and especially when it's people that we know personally, like mm-hmm. it's, it, it doesn't seem subjective when I think like, I want my wife to be healthy and happy. I want my child to be healthy and happy. Like that doesn't like, yeah, that's, that's sort of an internal thing. It's just in me, but it's a decision that I, that, that I would never question and have no interest in questioning. Right. Right. I'm always fascinated in these topics and Mm. of just creation. And I've been, you know, I've been, I've studied in India meditation and I have a lot of spiritual leaders Mm -hmm. on, and I know you, you listen to a lot of different people as well. And you, follow content that ranges on perspectives to continue to learn and yeah. deepen. I think that's important for all of us to do while we're creators and putting out content is to constantly learn and question yeah. our beliefs. You know, yeah, I have, the- I've, I've been really frustrated to some extent by a lot of sort of atheist perspective and content in the world that there's this kind of idea that this is the way forward. And that's not a thing that I feel. Like it's a, to me, this is like a, if you find your way to believing that people matter and that we need to protect them and decrease suffering and like create st- stable society and, you know, pursue justice, I don't really care how you got there. Yeah. I, and there's this kind of idea in the atheist movement, and I don't want to get like piled on for this, but that religion is like a source of a lot of the bad in the world. And I, mm-hmm. I could definitely see atheism being a source of a lot of bad in the world. Like, you know, I think that any, any doctrine can be, anything can be used to, to sort of create in groups and out groups and say that the other, the, the out group is bad. And, and that is almost always mm-hmm. uh, a long-term path toward more suffering and less justice. Yeah. I think the, the groups that believe in acceptance, believe in inclusion, believe in, you know, okay, you can have your opinion and we can still be friendly and not make people right or wrong. Mm -hmm. Uh, Obviously certain things are right or wrong based on laws and, (laughs) you know, hurting human beings in that way. But in terms of just like a belief, if it's not hurting me, then the group, whether it's a religious group, a non-religious group that supports inclusion, that supports, love mm-hmm. being a solution helping in suffering i'm all for that yeah and absolutely. uh you know i think atheists could get a bad rap people who have religion could get a bad rap because they might say well they were so judgmental or they were mm-hmm. sexual abusers or this yeah. or that and, preaching and i something. think that yeah people can definitely be hurt by the structures that sort of they're forced into or that mm-hmm. they that they sort of never know that there's an alternative to that and i don't want to take away from that for sure but like right. people who find joy or and and meaning like 
it can be it can be astrology like there's there's a lot of like so i make like a lot of science youtube and there's sort of a lot of like ragging on astrology which is like to me it's like well yeah but i <laughs> but like to if if it's if it's interesting to you if it's like a way to talk about yourself and discover and connect with other people in your lives and, and it brings just, you meaning and joy it's a framework yeah, yeah exactly i feel yeah i feel like it's so you're saying so you're saying the moment you were born that day doesn't dictate your entire <laughs> life and who you are and all your personality types yeah i, I that you'd be shunned I, here in la if you said that <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious um, about, you know, we have a very similar, I guess, ability. And, it, and that was our challenge of reading and learning growing mm-hmm. up. And when I went yeah. to eighth grade, I went to a private boarding school in eighth grade by choice. Most kids get sent away because they're bad. Mm-hmm. I actually uh, grew up in a small town, Delaware, Ohio, and I begged my parents to send me away to this uh, private boarding school in St. Louis, Missouri, mm. because I could see that I wasn't connecting well with the, the kids in my town and school. I was starting to do things that I wasn't proud of. Mm. And I just knew that I wasn't going down a right path. And I wanted to get out of this kind of small town energy vibe. Um, my parents weren't happy and I could sense it all the time. They were going to get divorced. And I was just like, get me out of here. My older siblings were off to college. I was felt alone. Mm-hmm. And so I, begged them for a whole summer to send me away to this, this school that I learned about. And they wouldn't let me go until you convince someone enough, I guess you get enough of their time and attention and you can persuade them. <laughs> they finally allowed me to go to the school. And when I went there, they tested me for my reading and math and everything. And mm-hmm. I had a second grade reading level in eighth grade. And for the mm-hmm. rest of my schooling there, I always had tutors trying to get me caught up so that I could finish high school and actually get into college. And I, and I almost flunked out of English my senior year in high school, not having the ability to go to college, barely passed, luckily, to get past the uh, minimum requirements for college. Mm-hmm. But you struggle uh, as well with reading and, yeah. and learning, isn't that right? Yeah, I, I was diagnosed with a learning disability when I was uh, er, earlier than that, when I was in elementary school and you know sort of went off for special tutoring, special classes. I still do not read fast. Um, thank God for audiobooks. Thank God for right. audio stuff. Um, I love to read, but it is, it, and it is not frustrating until I compare myself to someone else. So for me, if I just, if I just read at my own pace and it's like, this book's going to take me two, two months to finish, that, like I like it the whole time, but then if I like look over my wife and she's gotten through like 10 books in the same it's period like, of time, I, yeah. I get kind of down on myself. And my brother is also obviously like a ravenous reader and, and consumes a ton, just a ton mm. of books. And there's also in, in our own community that we've built online, because a lot of it was sort of early on built on John's career as an author. There's a lot of readers in our community. And so there's a lot of talk about like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to read a hundred books this year, or like the 50 book challenge. And it's just like, does not compute to my brain. I could read three books in a year. It's a huge yeah. celebration. Yeah. And so it, it's funny because I'm like the leader of this community, but I can have my feelings kind of hurt by it Right. <laughs> so when, they're, when they're talking about, we, but, but of course that's like, it's just different abilities. And I, I recognize that I shouldn't feel this way, but I still mm-hmm. do sometimes. What do you think is the superpower you gained from not having the uh, uh, reading ability or dyslexia, which I have, 
Yeah. Uh, still today, when I read, like even out of my own book, if I'm reading something aloud for a video, I still mm -hmm. sometimes have to pause, sometimes say the wrong word that I'm looking at, and mm -hmm. then just have to accept myself every moment, yeah. and not be uh, worried about the judgment of other people. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because I have to, I read off a teleprompter for a living, one of my jobs. So hard. And that so took me, it, so it, was, hard, man. it was a, it was, so it's, there's this period of time when you're not good at something where it just like hurts. Yeah. And it's, it's so easy to be motivated when you're succeeding. And I like that early time and I went home you know, I, I started doing this and I knew that it was going to be really hard to do this job. It was my own job. So I could have like done it a different way, but I knew it was going to be really hard if I couldn't get this down. And I went home and I would just read poems out loud and I would read, I would just like find stuff and I would read it out loud. I'd read it out loud, weird sentences, the weirdest stuff I could find that didn't make sense. And I concentrated on how my eyebrows would move because like if you're, when you're reading, sometimes your face stops moving all the ways it should move. And I like, like, and it was, I wouldn't have done it honestly if I didn't have all these employees who were going to be sitting in the room with me oh while I was recording this stuff. I if I was going to be doing it by myself, I'd be able to just like take all of the time that it took. But instead, I just like pushed through it, and and now I'm very good at it. Um, Isn't that interesting? But, that the more you know, for me. I was terrified because of my learning disability of public speaking because in school, mm -hmm. when, the class, when the teacher would ask us to read aloud like a, a, a paragraph or whatever in class, I don't know if they ever did this with you, we would read aloud in front of the class and I would just mm -hmm. tremble and stutter and yeah. just you're like, I'm literally having my pants. Like flashbacks. Yeah. Yeah. Just miserable, mm -hmm. anticipating the, the, my turn on how I could mm -hmm. get up and go to the bathroom and how yeah. I could say pass without them making fun of me, whatever. Right. Right. And when I learned public, and we know that you can hold your pee for 14 hours. <laughs> exactly. So it can't like, be that. that. Exactly. <laughs> and, um, I, I remember after I graduated college, I was playing actually arena football in Huntsville, Alabama, near where you grew mm -hmm. up. And I got injured. And as I was trying to figure out what I'm going to do the rest of my life, now that my one dream, my one skill and talent is over, what am I going to do? Cause I have no other talents. Mm-hmm. I met someone who was a public speaker who said the greatest skill you can give yourself is learning public speaking. And there's the ability to be able to communicate your ideas, your thoughts, your words mm -hmm. in some type of format that makes sense peacefully. And whether you have a job, you're a business owner, you're going to need to be able to communicate ideas. Yeah. And that was the greatest gift I gave myself, which was going to Toastmasters every week for a year, mm -hmm. humiliating myself <laughs> and continually showing up until I yeah. can speak confidently enough mm -hmm. to make sense. Yeah. How, you know, I feel like these, the fears we have are the things we need to lean into. The, the yeah. disabilities we have are the things that when we go all in on them and master it, now you're really good at this thing, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, I, I don't ha I am not dyslexic. I have what's, what was then called a sensory integration dysfunction. I don't even know what they call it right. now. And, um, and, and so like there are just pieces of, pieces of information that take extra long to sort of like get from my senses to my brain. Right. And not all information is that way. Um, but, but, um, and some, some information is like magnified. And this was extra the case when I was a child where I had to sort of like, it was like physical touch could be really hard for me and like I'm 
like that's not a thing for me anymore but also like would definitely have been diagnosed ADHD if I was growing up these days. I have a, you know, obviously there's a lot of people with ADHD who are really effective. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that there is, there's like a misnomer that just because like you might not be perfectly suited for the environment in which you are supposed to learn in the society that you are not like capable of doing like all kinds of other things. But I, I do feel like I have some, I don't know what these like, what what my abilities to like synthesize information for other people really effectively like i feel like that comes from mm-hmm. me having a hard time getting the information into my head and also being like like mindful as that process is happening and understanding how my own information synthesis works how my own knowledge building works I don't know why I'm really mindful of that stuff. Maybe it's because I've just been trying to teach people for the last 15 years on the internet, but I'm super mindful of how I learn. And I think that that helps. And maybe it's because I had a a learning disability and like I, I was sort of like by tutors told like, like we, as I was learning stuff, we were sort of like looking at the ways I was learning it Mm. um, that I, you know, I can sort of like rewind my own process of knowledge building and then like do it again for other people, but explicitly instead of just like, you know, trying to build it, trying to have them build it themselves. Yeah, that's what I really admire about you. And I think we're similar in a sense that, you know, with your YouTube channel crash course, which is like these two minute, three minute clips that just simplifies something complex. Mm-hmm. That's what I think is really interesting. And you make it visual and you make it fun and you make it interesting where it's like, oh, I can break this down. Whereas when I look at a big textbook that's 500 <laughs> pages that it says psychology 101, it makes me want to fall asleep in the sense of, yeah. I'm not gonna be able to get through this. So because uh-huh. it's packaged in a challenging format, this must be challenging to understand. Mm-hmm. And why even try when I can't even read the words on the first page and I have to read it over and over for 20 minutes to just remember the first page. I guess I don't understand psychology. I guess I don't understand sociology. I guess I don't understand history, whatever the topic is. Yeah. So when you synthesize the information and put it into, oh, here's a dummies version of videos, I guess, for, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that's what you guys were going for, but that's what I look yeah. at. It's like, the how-to dummy guide for life and everything. I was like, this is the answer. And that's what I try to do, which is like bridge the gap from complex Mm -hmm. ideas of guests I have on Mm -hmm. to to people like myself (laughs) can understand it. Yeah. And it's really effective. Like what you do is also really effective. I, 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 I love that format where it's, you know, it's like this, you know, it's not like you don't know stuff. It's you don't know that stuff. Yeah. And and but also like the lack of shame about it, where it's just like, of course I don't know this. Like I'm, the, I, I feel like one of the greatest things that we can do is like break down our sort of walls over vulnerability and curiosity, where it's just like, we're not supposed to know everything. We're not supposed to. Anytime any person in this world feels shame about being curious about something. I think is like the the worst thing that society can do to people because curiosity is the only way we bridge gaps. It's the only way we build knowledge. It's the only like it, to me. It's one of the the things that's always there for me when I am failing and do feel down and can't really find the way to to like continue my my process of self development is like I always find joy in in discovering new things about the world. I used to be. Uh, never raise my hand in class because 
people would laugh when I would ask dumb questions. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it made me stop wanting to be curious in class, in school. And it's why I really didn't pay attention in school because I was like, everything is going by so fast. Every lesson plan, I'm not getting the concepts. And so I just cheated my way all through high school. I've, I've said mm -hmm. this many times before. I cheated on homework. Mm -hmm. I cheated on quizzes, on tests. I, I used my other abilities of, of vision to see the scantrons around <laughs> me and say, how can I hack my way to getting a D plus and just getting mm -hmm. by? Because mm -hmm. there was no other way, no matter how many tutors, how much time I studied at night, we had mandatory study hall for two hours. I just wasn't able to with that system. Yeah. And what I realized is after school is when I said, I don't care what people think of me anymore of the dumb questions I ask. I'm just going to ask them because I'm curious. Yeah. And I think for the last 15 years, that has been one of my best skills is asking the dumb questions that I mm -hmm. used to get made fun of for asking. But yeah. people still want to know the answers to because we don't know everything. How are we going to memorize every subject in school and be like this? I mean, yeah. except for my producer, Ben, who's like a fact wizard. Every time I'm like, <laughs> who's this guest? And he lists off 20 things about each person. I'm like, you're yeah. a machine. But for human beings like myself, it's, uh, you know, I got to ask these dumb questions. So Yeah. And you know what that reads as, as adults? It reads as confidence, mm. you know? It, it reads as like, I don't know this thing and I want to, and I'm not ashamed that I don't know it. And that, that doesn't read as, you know, stupidity. It reads as confidence. I like that. I like that a lot. Now, you, you know, you've chased a lot of, I guess, dreams over the years. You've done a lot of things. Uh, we talked about this for a little bit, but I want to dive in a little more. The difference between the power of chasing one dream and going all in on it versus doing a lots of things which it seems like you did a lot of things really well, but if you would have went all in on one or two things over the last 15 years, do you think you would have been more successful, more financially well off, more, a bigger audience, more famous? What is the, what do you think? Yeah, maybe. I don't, I, I convince, I, I say that to myself all the time that like, if I could just focus on this one thing, it would be so big and good and powerful and useful and, but I, but I keep, you know, getting distracted by that other thing over there that I've also, that also requires my attention and I have lots of obligations to, to fulfill in, in that space as well. But also with those two things, there's also this third thing that I haven't even started yet that I'm really excited about that I'm going to go for. <laughs> that, like, and, then, so, and then 10 other things that I have yeah. ideas around. Yeah. So, so. I try not to think too much about it because like, I, I think that that's sort of a, a negative thought that I'm, it's like a self-sabotage thought. It's suffering it's, too. Yeah. Yeah. Where it's like, if only I could, if only, but like, I can't yeah. like, I have to be one, I have to be true to who I am, which is like, and, and also I have to use the fuel that I have. And I recognize that I like to start things more than I like to finish them <laughs> more than I like to sort <laughs> to of grow them. them yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And, uh, and, and I know that, um, but that doesn't mean that I don't like it. So I like it. So I'm going to do it. And, and I also have to be aware and I'm better at this now that I need a plan for if this thing succeeds, I need a plan for how to do it year two when I have less fuel around that idea. What do you say to the creators? Cause I get this all the time. People ask me in our, in our private membership site, well, Lewis, I've got this business idea and I've got these three other things that I'm so passionate and excited about. Which one do I do? 
what do you say to people that are super creative and want to do a lot of things, but obviously there's only limited time and resources. If you don't have the investment, if you don't have the team and it's you kind of as the solo creator, uh, solopreneur type, what do yeah. you say to people like that? I say, if you have the, 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 the gas in your tank, which is like, it's, it's a, usually mostly made out of enthusiasm for the idea and like where that enthusiasm comes from. It, it varies. Um, if you have the gas in your tank, yeah, light, light it up, turn the ignition, go and, and yes, focus on, on one thing, the thing that is most exciting to you. And when you are, and this is, this is very important and I know this about myself, when you think, I'm going to work on that other thing for a little bit. Know, like, know that thought and understand that that thought is self-sabotage. And it's, say, it's saying to you, you're not sh- I'm not sure that this is actually going to work, so I want to, I want to focus on something else. Even though this is much more exciting, more interesting, and I've chosen this to be the thing, that thought that you want to go work on something else or you want to focus on something else is coming from a place of, I'm worried this might not succeed, and so I don't want to try... Like I don't want to focus on this anymore because now I'm afraid, afraid of the potential outcome. Right. If you're afraid that it might not succeed, you either have to determine that it won't and say, this will not succeed. And so I'm going to stop working on it or I'm going to sort of back burner it and like maybe sort of like have it in the back of my head and, and still be working on ideas for it. Um, or you have to, you have to convince yourself that you're wrong and that it, it will, it, and that it does have a good chance of success. And in general, the, like one of my, the, the early creators of online video is one of the first guys to make video blogs, a guy named Zay Frank. He ran Buzzfeed video for a long time, but before that he made this show that was not even on YouTube because it was before YouTube. He just uploaded it to his website. He has this idea called brain crack. And brain crack is that idea that you're keeping in your head mm. because it looks so beautiful and perfect when it's in there. And the moment you start to take it out, it gets all dingy and dirty and full of the dust of the world and it's not perfect anymore. And so you keep it in there and you're addicted to it. And you just like keep coming back to this perfect idea that's in your head and you're thinking about the idea instead of doing the idea and your brain like what we understand now that we didn't really even understand back then is that you're like, by thinking about that idea, your brain is getting the satisfaction of kind of actually doing it. We do this with exercise too, where we, if we think about exercise, it actually convinces us we don't need to exercise because we like thought about it. Mm-hmm. So if you're thinking about the idea, but not executing it, you are actually preventing yourself from executing it you are doing a thing that is slowing you down Mm. you just need to get you need to get it out onto the table or into the code or however you're going to execute this thing yeah and and what does it do to us when we think about the book idea for five years when we think about launching the video Mm -hmm. channel for two years when we research obsessively and and talk about the idea but we never actually implement the first step what does that do to us yep I mean, it, what I can tell you as a novelist, uh, which I can call myself now because I've written two novels. <laughs> when I just written one, I feel like I couldn't use that, that <laughs> phrase. Um, is that thinking about a book and thinking about a story is nothing compared to writing it. Like writing the story is at least 10x the, the creative endeavor as sort of like ideating around it. Like typing is where all of the work gets done. You know, I can, 
it, and and it's important to like take breaks from the, the typing and go for a scooter ride or take a shower or something and like work on a problem that you've got f- with with your you know with your characters or with the plot or something because book writing is a lot of problem solving but all of the best work gets done when my fingers are on the keyboard and and I don't know what it does to me internally to just think about it but what I what I do know is that those ideas in my head I'm not seeing the real problems with them I'm seeing them as perfect and that it's going to be great and it, it, and like until I start to actually write I don't understand the magnitude of the problem I'm trying to solve the magnitude of the of the the plot I'm trying to create or how that's actually going to end up playing itself out and there is yeah doing is at least 10 times as effective as thinking. What would you recommend to someone who's got three big ideas in their mind? One's a creative project, one's a business, one's a whatever. <laughs> and it's like, okay, my friend Rory yeah. Baden talks about, procrastinate. he calls it procrastinate on purpose, where he's like, okay, you've got this really great idea. You want to do this thing? Mm-hmm. Uh, don't think about it right now unless you're going to do it right now and put it like on the back burner where you're not obsessing about it. You're like, yeah. I like this idea yeah. for the future. This is a six mm-hmm. month out goal to start. And then if six months comes, okay, you know what? It's still not ready. It's another year out goal. Mm-hmm. But you put it on the back burner as opposed to talking about this thing. Yeah. What advice do you have to creators who are thinking about all these ideas and aren't doing it? Well, I mean, so the ideas are not all the same, um, but I, I tend to think of things in terms of business models, yes. which my publisher likes uh, because it, it means that I'm thinking about the marketing of the book while I'm yes. writing the book. I'm thinking about the audience for the book while I'm writing the book. It's a creative endeavor for me, but part of that creative endeavor is imagining how it will reach people, mm-hmm. which is a huge thing when you're making online video. Like that, nobody makes a YouTube video that is successful without... It happens very rarely without like thinking pretty critically about how it's going to reach people. Um, but tr- like build a business model, like take the time and like, if you've got these three ideas, spend time on each of them. And there's some great tools for how to build a business model. There's like a, I think it's called business model generation is a, mm-hmm. is a book that I've used. And it sort of like, you know, it, not every business fits exactly into the sort of like stakeholder like create like thing that they've created but like sometimes you just don't fill in every box on the sheet but even if it is a creative project i think that it you know i think it's it's worthwhile to sort of like put it into a framework write those three ideas down and see which one has the most problems and discard that one for now yeah yeah. see which one is the most exciting and that you're most enthusiastic about because like i really think that um that creativity requires a lot of fuel and and people's fuels come from very different places, but I think it's very, it's, it's really powerful to identify what thing is going to drive you mm-hmm. the most because you need drive, especially if you're like working a full-time job and trying to do this thing and trying to take care of your family and trying to maintain relationships. Like you need, you need drive. You do. And your health and everything. I mean, in your, yeah. so your book is coming out uh, very soon. It's called a beautifully foolish endeavor appreciative of people who teach lessons in a story like the alchemist is my favorite book one mm. that it's short and it's mm-hmm. easy to read mm-hmm. um but it, it tells life lessons in a cool story yeah should we be thinking about influence uh should we be thinking we need to become famous as a personal brands and build influence to get attention mm-hmm. or or not build a personal brand isn't personal branding and 
a business brand mixing a lot now. You kind of need yep. a base now with the company mm -hmm. to make to connect to an idea. You can't just have a logo of a brand with no face anymore. Yeah, everyone's an influencer. Like I'm asking a bunch in one question, but what's your <laughs> thoughts? What's your thoughts on? What we should yeah. be thinking about as individuals in terms of building a personal brand and businesses. Yeah, I mean, I think so. One of the things about fame is that the, the one of the reasons why it's so valuable is that it is, it is inherently scarce because of the inherent scarcity of attention. Of attention, and so it's, you know, there are there are ways, and I, like this is something that I think a lot about. Um, I, I think that when we are like the first, our first sort of exposure to you know, people who have a lot of attention being paid to them. The tendency is to think, this isn't always, but most people think that looks really desirable and it's not something that everybody can have. And so there is that, there's that scarcity. It's just like gold where it's like, there's not very much of it. So you want it just by its inherent scarcity. There's also the element of influence. There's also like, you know, the, the knowledge that there might be, you know, money and, and power and, you know, whoever you're attracted to also might be interested in that. Um, and so like the, there's a lot of, a, a huge amount of, of value there. And we, but we also tend to focus on the ways that it happens that we are paying attention to, which is the people who are most famous. And yeah. so that's sports stars and it's musicians, musicians and it's actors and politicians. And, and politicians. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but what I've seen as I've gotten, uh, as I've, I've gotten, older is that, you know, I live in Missoula, Montana, not a big town, not a lot of famous people here. I have the most Twitter followers of anyone in Montana, um, wow. which is, which is, you know, not, it would, I would have, I would be like 8,000 from the list if I lived in LA. I have this, and I think, and it's one of the reasons why I live in Montana is because I get to like watch people find value in these really wonderful ways that, uh, that are not about having hundreds of thousands of people pay attention to you. I know I have a lot of friends who are involved in community theater and, you know, we, we have a great community theater here and they make amazing shows and they put them on for audiences of hundred or 200 people. And they do that for a couple of weeks and then the show ends and it's extremely valuable. You know, it's, it's such a wonderful experience to be in the audience. It's also a wonderful experience to be in the show. And I also have that experience with like friends who work in organic agriculture and like they're really well respected in the organic seed movement. And like, I don't, I wouldn't know that the organic seed <laughs> movement exists if right. I didn't have my friend who works in that, that world. And, and, like, wrote, and wrote the like, PDF of the month for yeah. the community. <laughs> yeah. She's like super influential and important in that space. And, you know, we, it, and like she gains a lot of value from it, both because she's important and influential in that space and also because she's doing really important and good work. So, so do we need to build reputation? Yeah. Do we, like, are we now in a world where personal reputation really kind of is going to start to and already is superseding brand reputation? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, and. I mean, even with, I mean, with everyone being canceled and cancel culture, it's like, it's even more important. And it seems like it almost doesn't yeah. matter how much good you do. If you say one thing wrong <laughs> or do one thing against the mob, your yeah. whole reputation is canceled and yeah. it doesn't matter if well, you donated a hundred million dollars and mm -hmm. won five Super Bowls or whatever it is. It's like, you yeah. have to if be you, so if, And I think a lot of times it's like legitimate misunderstanding. I think sometimes it's like, sometimes it's, it's like people get a little bit too in their heads about how 
how great they are. And so they don't think they can make a mistake. I, I like to be very aware of the fact that I can make mistakes, very ready to uh, talk to other people about when they think I've done something wrong. But one of the mechanisms of influence is that like, it's, you know, one of the ways that you can gain influence is by finding a problem and calling attention to it. And if you think you found a problem with someone and you're like, this person, you know, has said some really hurtful things that I think does a society a lot of harm and, and sort of build a narrative around that, like to some extent, this is another way of influence transfer and it can happen really fast. Mm. It's like you can be the one to call out one person, have no following, but then get ten, yeah. views on your video and then all of a sudden have perspective yeah. and influence. Yeah. And, and sometimes I've, I've seen that happen in both ways where it's like legitimate, like we're legitimately finding something that like, oh, this person is bad. And then I've seen it happen in ways where like they've taken things out of context really yes. intentionally and made a video that has a really clickbaity title and it's getting tons of views. And I'm just like, oh my God, yeah. now I have to like weigh in on this and be like, no, this person is good. And then everybody's going to be mad at me. I know, right? <laughs> What's the, I mean, I love the quote from Jim Carrey. I just pulled it up. I hope everyone could get rich and famous and will have everything they ever dreamed of so they will know that it's not the answer where yeah. I, I'm hearing you say Literally a that. character in my book who says, who says, uh, who says that uh, one of the characters helps make the other character really rich and says, um, I didn't just make you rich and famous so that you would know that, uh, so that you would know that, that that won't make you happy, but that was a nice benefit. It was a good side effect. Right. Now right. you know that it actually isn't that great. <laughs> right. But the key, what I'm hearing you say is we should all be trying to figure out creative ways to gain attention, to get our yeah. And work I think out to build there. reputation. Yes. Yeah. To build reputation. And that doesn't have to be on the internet. You know, like that's part of that is in our lives. We should have a reputation in our families mm. for fulfilling obligations, for caring for each other, for, you know, helping out when times are hard. We should have a, a reputation in our communities as simple as like that guy, is really nice to the barista at the coffee shop. Like we should build good reputation in ways that we can. And I think that that's one of the really strong mechanisms that actually holds society together. Mm -hmm. um, so, it, it, but then like outside of that, as it gets bigger, as you start having, you know, more following and as fame has fractured, it used to be that like there are way more famous people now than there used to be. It's just that like, you know, the number of people and the level of attention that they have from like Bing Crosby days where 50% of America listened to one radio show. Right. Like that has, that has fractured and there's been a lot, of, a lot of that and it continues. And I think that, you know, that Twitter and TikTok are, are really sort of effective ways of seeing how that fracturing mm -hmm. has happened. But I, I think that it isn't about becoming LeBron James. You know, I think that every time you ask the question, how do I build reputation? How do I build attention? You also need to be asking, why am I doing that? What is the purpose? What is the thing that I'm going to do with this asset when I have it, while I have it, how to use that? The thing that influencers do with almost all of their influence is build their own influence. Um, and that's sort of like ignored, but like that's what mostly we do. Uh, but like, what are you going to do with that once you have it? And How are you going to shift attention towards doing good in the world, towards solving problems, towards right. helpful solutions? 
Yeah. Yeah. And no, I don't, I don't know if this is like, uh, if this is universal, but for me anyway, that actually feels much better than having the attention, like doing something useful with it. Well, I mean, the science of happiness is all about when you do for someone else is when you're some, some of the most yeah. happiest people are yeah. because they do for someone else, whether it's their family member, whether it's mm-hmm. giving time, whether it's you know, a, a kind gesture, whether it's mm-hmm. money, whatever it may be, it's the act of gratitude. It's the act of doing for other people. That's when we're the happiest. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, have a, I have a friend who's PBS. She's a PBS show that's launching today as we record this. So not today as it's coming out. And, um, and I met her when she was in college and she was just like so smart and interesting and funny that we worked together on some projects and I mentored her some and like now she's got a PBS show. Ah, that's and great. Like, it's, I'm so much more happy that Emily has a PBS show than I would be if I got one. Sure. <laughs> um, and like, I would be extremely happy, but like there's something much more pure about that happiness that it's yeah. about like. Seeing others else. succeed that you've helped and you've mentored. Yeah. And I just know that she's like such a great person and she deserves every bit of it um, that I like, that just feels really good. It feels way, way better than any, like almost anything else I've ever done. Oh, that's cool, man. That means you got a good heart. That means you got a good mission. Um, well, and you're, but you're right that like in the research shows that this is true. It's not just like good people. It's like people are happier when they help others than when they help themselves. That's it, man. It's, I, I, you know, I've, I've been saying this more a lot lately is that because everyone talks about, you know, I ask about greatness and everyone asks me about greatness. And I've been saying a lot more lately that success is for ourselves and greatness is for others. You know, when you mm. achieve greatness is when you go beyond yourself, when your own mm. desires, your own dreams for me, for what I want, what I'm not mm-hmm. getting, what I want to accomplish towards, okay, yeah, I want to accomplish certain things and be of service to other people through that act, through that mm-hmm. creative endeavor, through that business, through that artistic expression, through that song, whatever it may be. And so I think that intention is what makes people great when they create, make, live, be in a place of service. Mm -hmm. I agree with you. And I think it can be, it can be hard to get to that space because our minds often tell us that the, the main thing is like fulfilling that, that hit. I was actually talking to Ben, your producer a little bit before this, and he had a great point that, you know, I, I was sort of making the case that a lot of people are trying to build influence to, to make money and to, uh, and to build more influence and just have more of it. And, and he was like, yeah, that's true. But also I think you need to recognize that people are doing it just because like, it feels good. They're not even thinking about it. It just feels, and he's the absolutely dopamine, right. The dopamine and that, hit. And I, yeah, like that short term feel good that like, it's not gonna last at all. It's like drinking a Coke, you know? It's just like, <laughs> that feels good. I like that. Like I won't, <laughs> I will in no way feel better five minutes from now because I had a Coke, but I enjoyed it that instant that it happened. Yeah. How do we get away from, uh, you know, building influence to feel good in the moment towards building influence to impact others long term? I think the like the it it comes with mindfulness, like it comes with thoughtfulness, like actually thinking about it, noticing why I'm feeling the way I'm feeling, and then and and sort of thinking, okay, like I have these powers, I have these privileges, I have these mm-hmm. like things that not everyone has access to. And it's not about like whether I deserve that because I think that like that's a totally wrong frame. I don't know that anyone, it's very hard to sort of imagine deserving being a a, a sensical topic when there are, you know, billions of people who can't, don't have clean water to drink. 
Um, so it's not about deserving. It's about what you do with the, the things, the gifts that you've been given, the, the mm -hmm. power that you have. Yeah. I love this, man. I'm really glad we got connected here. And I hope when you're, when you can travel to LA, we can hang more. I've got a couple of questions for you. Um, okay. And I want to make sure people get your book because <laughs> I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be really powerful for people to learn about these things in a story format. And I know your, yeah. your last book was a number one New York Times bestseller. So I can yeah. only imagine how much better yeah. you are. This is the, this is the sequel. So if you want to start with the first one, it's actually, it's cheap because it's in paperback. It's called a, an absolutely remarkable thing. Uh, so you can start there if you want. It'll there you go. Sense. <laughs> and this is the, the sequel, a beautiful, yeah. a beautifully foolish endeavor, which is all about attention and influence yeah. and how to yeah. get it and why we need it and the, the evils of it and all these things. Yeah. Yeah. And also the, the platforms that consolidated and how much dang power <sighs> they have now. Right. And the privacy yeah. issues and all that stuff, which I'm mm -hmm. sure you, you talk yeah. about in the story. You're at, you're at uh, HankGreen.com, Hank Green on Twitter, Hank Green on Insta, Facebook. Mm -hmm. Hank Green one on TikTok. Hank <laughs> Green one. You know what I got earlier? I got at Lu I'm at Lewis House everywhere except for TikTok. I got at Lewis. Oh, I was nice. like, wow. I mean, like, I probably should have kept the branding all the way through, but it just looks cleaner that I want to nice. get on nice. Insta as well. That yeah. I'm like, uh -huh. you know. So, anyways. Um, You've got a lot of cool stuff. I loved your video in the past. I think it was four or five years ago about honey badgers. Remember <laughs> that one? Honey badger. Yeah. So uh, you've got some great stuff that people can check out. And if they just go to hankgreen.com, they can see it all. And the book will be there to get yeah. your books, all that stuff. Yeah, thanks. Um, I want to ask you a couple of final questions. This one's called the three truths. So I'd like for you to imagine for a moment a hypothetical question. Uh, even though you don't believe in the, the afterlife or, or, or those things. Imagine this is your last day on earth many, many years from now, and you've created every dream you could ever want to make. You've I'm written a good. thousand books. You've changed <laughs> millions of lives. You've done the, the ideas. It's all happened. The family's great, all that stuff. But for whatever reason, you got to take all of your writing, your work, your videos with you to the next place, wherever that may be for you. So no one has access to your content, businesses, apps anymore. Mm -hmm. But you get to leave behind a piece of paper where you get to write down three things you know to be true from all your experiences, all your lessons that you've learned that mm -hmm. you would want to share with the world. What would you say are your three big lessons or three truths you'd share with us? Um, I think, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I think we hit all of them in this talk. I think number one, you got to let yourself be excited about things. You got to like care about stuff. And, you know, yeah, I guess that's the, that's the simple version that the vulnerability that comes along with that is strength, not weak, weakness. Mm -hmm. um, helping others succeed feels better than success. Mm. And I guess just stay curious. Cause I think that's the thing that we're all born with. And I think sometimes we lose it and it's not something that like you should become curious. You should hold on to it. Ooh, I like that one. Stay curious. I feel like that's all I do is just ask questions. Yeah. I'm, I'm a curious mind. Yeah. Uh, I want to acknowledge you, Hank, for, for your curiosity throughout the years of diving into creative endeavors and putting that curiosity out through your, your body of work, your, your artistic endeavors, through events to businesses to videos to everything you've been doing. You've got an incredible gift of taking ideas and creativity and, and alchemizing it and bringing it to the world. So I acknowledge you for the consistent effort of showing up 
and putting things out there, which I know how challenging it is, but it's been extremely helpful for the world and it's been a big service. So I acknowledge you for that. Thank you. And uh, I'm just grateful for our time today. And my final question is what's your definition of greatness? Um, this is one I've said before, but solving more problems than you create. Yeah. I love it. Hank, thank you, man, for being here. I appreciate you very much. Yeah, thank you. My friend, thank you so much for taking the time to listen today to this episode. Make sure to share this with someone who you think will find it valuable. You have the ability and the power to change someone's life today just by sharing this message. Then make sure to go follow Hank on all of his platforms and check out his new book, A Beautifully Foolish Endeavor. Again, please leave us a review. A five-star review is always welcome. And let us know what you thought about this episode. And if you want inspirational messages from me every single week, then text me right now. That's right. You can text me the word podcast to 614-350-3960. Make sure to check out the podcast description right below this on your Apple Podcasts or Spotify for links to other impactful podcast episodes related to this one. And I want to close with a quote from Barack Obama. When we succeed, we succeed because of our individual initiative, but also because we do things together. I'm so grateful for you. I love you. And as always, you know what time it is. It's time to go out there and do something great.